You are listening to CJSW 90.9 FM, broadcasting out of Calgary, Alberta, at the University of Calgary campus radio station, located on Treaty 7 land. I would like to take this opportunity to acknowledge the traditional territories of the people of the Treaty 7 region in southern Alberta, which includes the Blackfoot Confederacy, Kainai, Siksika, and Bikani First Nations, the Sutina Nation, and the Stony Nakoda, including the Chiniki, Bearspaw, and Wesley First Nations. The city of Calgary is also home to Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. On August 9th, 2016, Colton Bushi, who was 22 years old, from the Cree Red Pheasant First Nation, was shot and killed on a rural Saskatchewan farm. The farmer, Gerald Stanley, who killed Colton Bushi, was acquitted from all charges. There was a public outcry from all the Indigenous peoples across Canada. Today, our podcast is focused on the injustices of how Indigenous peoples are treated in Canada, and Colton Bushi's tragic death is an example on how racist and discriminatory and systematically unjust Canada is. Respectfully, join me in a moment of silence for Colton Bushi and his family, sending prayers, love, and justice to all Indigenous peoples of Canada. Did you hear what they had to say about our lost star? They take in ways I can't understand They place the blame on her like she was nobody's child Now all I see today is how they wash away
there with her song, Little Star. On today's episode of Indigenization Across the Nation, Grace Heavy Runner interviews Eleanor Sunchild, Indigenous lawyer and advocate for Colton Bushy's family. Eleanor talks about the trial of Gerald Stanley and what she witnessed during the whole court process. Filmmaker Tasha Hubbard's award-winning documentary called We Stand Up is a very touching film on Colton Bushy's story and many other important issues that Indigenous people face today in Canada. I actually became involved personally with the family when the shooting first occurred. Um, Colton's uncle, Alvin Baptiste, contacted me the day after he was shot and told me that his his nephew had been killed and the RCMP was saying that it was a theft-related crime. There was a press release that was issued the next day that stated that this was a property crime and a, a there was a life lost as a result, not a murder. So at that point, I became involved, not officially as a lawyer, more as um, an advisor at that point, a supporter of the family. It touched everybody in the Battlefords. Personally, for me, it touched me as an Indigenous mother because that was somebody's son, one of our, one of our sons, who was killed in in that manner and treated with no respect by the the justice system in the in the years the years that followed after the trial I became the uh, lawyer for the civil suit and uh, the civil suit against Gerald Stanley the civil suit against the RCMP um, those are still ongoing. And um, I became involved, uh, of course, with the film because Tasha was filming all of the events from the first court appearance right until um, the footage. There was even footage after the UN. Uh, Colton's birthday, I think, was the last scene in the movie that I remember being present at. Uh, it, it's been an honor to stand with the family, to see the strength that they have in light of such a difficult and tragic situation. Um, I felt a great anger the night of the verdict. I remember standing outside with Tasha outside the courthouse in Battleford. And at that point, there were a number of pickup trucks that were zooming around the courthouse, circling it uh, in KKK style. And we were standing out there. She was filming that, and everybody was crying. It was, it was such an emotional moment, and I, I felt such an anger from, from the bottom of my stomach. And just, just I was so angry because I had seen this whole case play out from day one. And on day one, when I received the call from Alvin, I had hoped 
that the family would see justice. But I wasn't hopeful given the fact that I have been a practicing lawyer for 20 years and I've seen miscarriage of justice after miscarriage of justice. I see how our people are treated within the court system, within the justice system, how we're not understood, how we're processed um, and, and treated like numbers, statistics. Colton was no different. And so that anger that I felt that night standing outside of the courthouse after Gerald Stanley was acquitted fueled the fight for me. And I said to myself, we're going to make this public. We're not going to take this and accept it. We're going to make sure that everybody hears about this. We're going to go international. The whole country can't accept this. We can't accept this as Indigenous people. Watching Jade, watching Debbie cry and the the sadness and the the loss that they felt it, it was not right and for all of us it's been very difficult the whole process the trial even the movie doing um promotion like this it, it's all very personal because these are our children that we're fighting for and we don't want another life taken we don't want our indigenous youth to be killed and and it has to stop <clears throat> um i have to admit uh you know just watching the documentary i broke down not just once but many times seeing debbie having to go through all that so and i think as a mother too that was very very hard I um I I can't even imagine and I'm still you know I I still want to find out what's what's going on with our system like you know you've mentioned a number of things racism discrimination stigmas stereotypes have been placed on our people and uh this just kind of this goes to show can we talk about the jury? What were your thoughts on the jury? The jury was composed of, of 12 non-Indigenous people. And I've always said that given the demographic of our area in the Battlefords, there should have been at least two or three Indigenous people in that room on that jury. People ask, why does that matter? Well, it matters because if you have a room full of people who share the same stereotype, who have the same sort of upbringing, who share a white privilege. They are not going to be challenged on any stereotypes, racism or biases that come up in the jury room. We will never know what was said in that jury room. But had there have been even one Indigenous juror in that room, it may have very well been a different result because that person presumably would have given the group another way of looking at things or even challenged the jury on any pre-existing biases that they had. And the area that I live is very, very racist. It's very, very uh, 
biased against Indigenous people. It always has been. And those are the people who sat in that jury room. I can't say that they all had biases or, or were racist. I don't know. But it gives the impression and the look that 12 people from the same background uh, were allowed to make a decision uh, that was racially divis divisive, uh, uh, an issue that was so racially divided in our province, in our country, was this trial. And there should have been Indigenous jurors in that room. Again, the, in the injustice didn't just start in the courtroom. It started the day he was shot. It started with the press release that characterized it as property crime. It it also included the RCMP leaving the vehicle out in the rain with the door open and Colton's body on the ground. If this was a non-native person who was shot and killed, there would have been you know, a uh, number of officers at the scene. There would have been helicopters, everything, the whole nine yards, but it wasn't. It wasn't with Colton. Um, and that's the subject of a, a police review complaint that the family has made um, surrounding how the RCMP actually dealt with it and, and mishandled evidence. Didn't make it a priority, it seemed. Treated it like a property crime instead of a murder. And so there probably was crucial evidence that was missed. Um, they didn't bring the blood blood spatter, sorry, they didn't bring the blood spatter expert there to the scene personally. They sent the blood spatter expert photographs that came out in the trial. So you can see how this case was treated right from the start. It wasn't given the priority that it should have. And so that was the evidence that was given to the prosecutor. Um, I think there could have been a lot more questions asked of Gerald Stanley. I think there was a lot of information that that was left out, that wasn't presented to the jury. And so the jury made a decision based on this evidence that that painted the picture more one-sided, and the whole the whole story was not there. That that was part of the injustice, but just how the family was treated too. Uh, there was no communication. They they weren't afforded um, the privileges that I I observed that were afforded to Gerald Stanley and his his family. For example, you'll see in the film a shot where the RCMP take Gerald Stanley and his lawyer to the police detachment uh, after his first court appearance. And they actually took his family there for lunch. And I heard this from the RCMP themselves, that he was taken, or sorry, his family was taken to the police detachment for lunch because they feared for their safety. This is the family of an accused. There was no protection at that point for Colton's family, they weren't escorted anywhere for lunch. That That's just one example of how they were treated. Um, at the first court appearance, Gerald Stanley's family was escorted into the courthouse with RCMP, not Colton's family. So it was very one-sided right from the start. There was an, um, 
an overabundance of police officers at that first court appearance. There were, there were court, uh, sorry, there were police officers on the uh, liquor store across the street. There was police officers on the, on the art gallery, on the movie theater, I believe. Um, some people said they had guns. Some people said they had cameras. At the bail hearing itself, which was at the Court of Queen's Bench, there was a number of officers. There was a, a, a group of officers waiting in the elementary school across the street. And at that point, there were hundreds of supporters, Indigenous supporters for Colton's family. But the police presence there was unjustified. It was uncalled for. And they were there because there, was, there were a number of Indigenous people there with signs, with drums in support. And how did the RCMP respond? With sending hundreds of, of police officers there. It was, and that's how this whole thing played out. It was just, it seemed to be very one-sided towards the accused, not towards the victim. And it, it should have been towards Colton and his family because the, that, that's who the Crown um, was supposed to represent. <clears throat> Thank you, Eleanor. You said this was ongoing. I would like to know if there's appeal, like, bringing this case back into the courts. The Saskatchewan government refused to appeal. An appeal, sorry, um, we had sent grounds of appeal to the Saskatchewan government laying out what we thought were were proper um, appeal grounds, and they had that letter. But the government refused to appeal the acquittal, and instead they had a press conference. In my 20 years of practice, I have never seen a press conference held for a decision not to appeal. And so, as for the criminal case against Gerald Stanley, it's done. To our Indigenous youth, remember that you are special, you are important, you are loved, you are cared for, you are our future. And we did this, we do, we speak out in Colton's name for you. We speak out against injustice for you. As hard as, as, hard as, as it is for us to do that, uh, it's our obligation as Indigenous people, as Indigenous mothers, myself as an Indigenous lawyer, to speak out for those who can't, to speak out for the unborn. So to the youth who are hearing this, please speak up. If you see an injustice, speak up. If you're not treated right or you feel that something's unfair, speak up. Because as Annalise, Annalise said um, the previous interview, there will always be somebody there to help you. The creator will always put somebody in your path who will help you, who will support you. You just have to put yourself out there. And don't be afraid to do that as hard as it may seem. If your voice quivers, if you shake, that's fine. But speak up. For the other people, well, for everybody, we are seeking a Royal Commission on the systemic discrimination within the justice system. We've asked for a public inquiry in Saskatchewan that was refused, but we're still going to keep on with the fight for justice. We, we, 
want a commission. We're going to keep advocating for justice for all Indigenous people. This justice for Colton is not just about Colton. It's not about Gerald Stanley. It's about the mistreatment of Indigenous people and the pursuit of justice for everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Eleanor. And thank you, Alanise, for coming. There is a nationwide settlement to compensate survivors of Federal Indian Day School and Federal Day Schools. If you attended one of these schools, this may be an important step in your healing journey. The approved settlement provides direct compensation for eligible survivors in the range of $10,000 to $200,000, as well as support for families and communities through the establishment of a $200 million legacy fund. Survivors have until July 13th of 2022 to submit claims. You are encouraged to review the claim form as soon as possible to prepare your submission. To find out if you are eligible for compensation and how you can make a claim, go to IndianDaySchools.com or call 1-888-221-2898.
two songs that you just heard were Sky Woman by Anaknid and A Crow Hop from the Black Lodge Singers. This month's Indigenization Across the Nation is brought to you by myself, Hannah Manyguns, Grace Heavy Runner, and Spencer Burgess. Thank you for listening. <laughs> 